Hello, my name is Nick Bright, scholar of East Asian religions. And I'm Proven Paradox, a guy with a lot of questions. And you're listening to Bright on Buddhism, a podcast where we discuss East Asian Buddhism, answering listener-submitted questions from listeners just like you, and introducing concepts of Buddhism that you may or may not be familiar with in a casual, conversational setting. Enjoy. Hermit, how many genders do you believe there are? More than I can count, and still more though I've observed most to be male or female. Those are indeed the sexes, but not quite the genders. And even among the sexes, there are those who are born not quite one and not quite the other. Quite right. Though, I wonder what the Buddha has to say on this. I believe the Buddha says a lot about this. On the one hand, every Buddha has the 32 physical marks of a great teacher and leader, and one of those is a male mark. On the other hand, the physical marks are empty of inherent and substantial existence, and thus are non-dual. I wonder how we ought to reconcile these two proclamations. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Bright on Buddhism. This week, we will be answering a question submitted by my friend and one of our listeners. His questions are, Does Buddhism, or different Buddhisms, have an opinion on transgender or non-binary identities historically or in the present? How is gender identity thought to interact with reincarnation, if at all? How is this issue dealt with in the modern era? We hope you enjoy. So, let's get on to it. Does Buddhism, or different Buddhisms, have an opinion on transgender or non-binary identities historically or in the present? Generally, gender identity is not a distinct issue in the canon. The separation between gender and sex is a modern conception of gender that recognizes that it is a social construct. This separation is also an artifact of the limitations of language, the Western conception of the body, and Judeo-Christian understandings of the body, society, and their function and relationship. That it is a modern or Western discourse does not make the issue any less valid, however. It is of critical importance to fill in the empty space in the English language and the Western conceptions of the body here by understanding that the anatomy somebody is born with and the person they are can be separate and different. This is undoubtedly a place where Western religions, culture, and society have a problem. However, Buddhism is roughly the same age as the Judeo-Christian religions and has some of the same problems as well as some different ones. To address the question at hand, gender identity being separate from physical sex assumes a Cartesian separation between mind and body which does not exist in Buddhism. If we can say that gender identity is an individual believing their capital S self is one way while their body is another, then most Buddhist doctrine would say this is folly because there is no capital S self. That self is empty. If we can say that being transgender means that one views their physical anatomy as different than their capital S self, then Buddhism would regard this as a form of desire that replicates an illusion of self. If you believe that your capital S self is or is not this way or that way, then you assume the existence of it and you are attached to it, enough to say that it should be this and should not be that. This, according to Buddhist doctrine, would lead to dukkha. In that regard, Buddhism understands and acknowledges that gender is a social, namely human construct. However, from that alone, it's easy and not entirely incorrect to say that Buddhist doctrine can be queerphobic. However, there is another point to consider. Because of the doctrine of emptiness and non-duality, Buddhism would not ever, ever, ever say that what is in one's pants is what gender is. How's that the case? Buddhism invalidates the idea of body dysmorphia in general, including body dysmorphia caused by being transgender, by saying that in that one is mistaking body for self. 
However, it validates the fact that one's physical anatomy is ultimately inconsequential, unsubstantial, and subject to change. How is gender identity thought to interact with reincarnation, if at all? This is one place where we find a considerable problem in the Buddhist doctrine, and this is something we've discussed in our past episode about gender as well. To be reborn as a woman is considered karmic retribution for bad deeds done, and being reborn as a man is seen as karmic recompense for good deeds done. Indeed, most Buddhist traditions argue that one can only become a Buddha in the body of a man. That is because, as we've discussed before, all Buddhas have 32 special physical marks, and one of them is a sheathed penis, and that is a male mark, and thus means that all Buddhas are supposed to be men. I should, however, note two incredibly important points with regards to the issue of gender identity. First, this says nothing about a Buddha's gender identity, because a Buddha is enlightened enough to transcend a gender binary or a gender identity. This only speaks to a Buddha's anatomy. Second, when a Buddha enters into his final nirvana, he transcends physical form, and thus anatomy becomes a non-issue. Those being the case, Buddhism seems to have competing perspectives on the issue of gender. This can be explained in a number of ways. To explain it historically, Brahmanical Indian society in which Buddhism was born was pretty misogynistic, and thus so too was Buddhism. To explain it doctrinally, the Buddha, being fully enlightened and having transcended gender and anatomy, still had to preach misogyny because his audience was misogynistic. And you have to use dualistic language and problematic language, such as man and woman, to lead others to an understanding of non-duality. You can see how this is a little bit of an apologetic stance. No one has to use misogynistic language for anything. But if anyone was to try and understand how this fits, how the misogyny fits with emptiness and non-duality, this is where they would go to in order to make that argument. How is this issue dealt with in the modern era? In the modern era, there are lots of apologists that try to lean on the non-duality and emptiness doctrines, arguing that believing in a strict gender binary is an unenlightened perspective, whereas transcending it and understanding its limitations and the problems it causes is a more enlightened perspective. That said, there are still misogynistic rituals, institutions, and figures in Buddhism which represent a problem. While those people exist and probably will not change, doctrine can be, and is regularly, rewritten. That is the process by which religion evolves and stays relevant to the people for whom it serves a purpose. To that end, there are Buddhists which respect the text but believe and act entirely differently. I count myself as one of them. Those misogynistic texts I can be incredibly critical of, and I can say, I don't like those, I don't believe in those, I don't uphold those, because they're just simply wrong. Additionally, Buddhism has a lot of room, doctrinally, for the idea of live and let live. It's critically important in Buddhism that we be extremely and unwaveringly nice to each other. That's important in many religions, but obviously it doesn't shake out that way in reality. In the end, I think that the way to solve the problem of misogyny and queerphobia anywhere and anytime it comes up in Buddhism is to be Buddhist and not be misogynistic and queerphobic. It really is that simple, though it often does not happen in, in the real world that way. Yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind that a lot of this is a matter of the people involved as well as the religion involved. Uh, it kind of goes into the Buddhist idea of identity in general. By and large, Buddhism seems to, because of the, uh, the concept of non-self and emptiness and impermanence, kind of rejects having an individual identity. So the whole question doesn't parse well to... A Buddhist perspective, just because 
identity is something that you're trying to get away from in any way, right? I would agree with that completely. I would say that because of non-self, any conception of self as this or that is incorrect or maybe is, according to Buddhism, an unenlightened perspective. And I think that how that relates to this issue of gender identity is very complicated because I think that if I were to put on my hat as the representative of all Buddhism, me saying that, take that with a grain of salt, obviously that's impossible and not realistic in what I'm doing at all. But I would say that should people in the LGBTQIA plus community be accepted, the Buddhists would say, yes, they should be accepted. They should be validated. They should be supported. They should have rights just like everybody else. And there's really no problem there at all. Buddhism, while it is an issue about social reform, while it does focus and emphasize social reform in a lot of ways, when it comes to identity politics in any way and public sphere stuff, it's very, very, very much humanistic in regards to like best for the most and worst for the least, if that makes sense. But with regards to how does one person traverse their own individual journey with gender identity and their conception of their own body, then that's where the invalidation of gender identity starts. And it's not even so much invalidation beyond the misogyny that we see as much as it is diagnosing a cause for the suffering that something like body dysmorphia or body euphoria would cause somebody. What I mean by that is body dysmorphia is as I understand it from people that I've heard about it from and from my own research, not having experienced it myself, as I understand it, it's the feeling that you're not comfortable and you're not yourself and you're not happy and content and fulfilled in your own physical anatomy. And euphoria is the opposite where maybe you're wearing certain types of clothes or you're wearing your hair or your body hair a certain way or presenting one way or the other. And that gives you euphoria, makes you feel the most like yourself. Both of those, dysmorphia and euphoria, are feelings that would cause dukkha, ultimately. And Buddhism says to the dukkha, well, it's caused by desire. And body dysmorphia and euphoria is caused by a desire to be one way or the other. And instead of alleviating the dukkha by enabling it or feeding into it or letting it have what it wants, so to speak, because it's uns- it's insatiable, instead of trying to f- feed it, we should kind of move away from the desire aspect. Now, does that mean that if someone has body dysmorphia and they do Buddhism, so to speak, they do meditation and they try to get rid of desire such that it gets rid of their desire to be one way or the other, and then once that's done, what do they do? I don't know. So what I mean is like, if someone goes through the journey and they maybe even reach enlightenment, is their body dysmorphia or euphoria cured? Have they decided I'm going to present this way for this or that reason? It's very unclear and it it varies by the individual. I think that karmically speaking, intention matters the most, right? And so if someone has body dysmorphia, maybe it's possible that they can have reassignment surgery or dress differently or wear their hair and body hair differently. And with the intention, not of strong desire, but with the intention of something else, maybe skillful means, maybe enlightening others, maybe being 
the best Buddha that they can be, some other more meritorious intention, the Buddhists would think maybe that would be better and thus a valid means of justifying doctrinally reassignment surgery or something like that. But this is all very complicated and very, very dicey territory. Like, I, I don't think that it's really solvable as hard as we may try, because this is not an issue that Buddhism was conceived of to encounter. This is something, while transgender identities and while body dysmorphia and body euphoria are human conditions that have been around as long as humans have, certainly reassignment surgery and certainly this idea that there is a masculine and there is a feminine and those have specific characteristics, those are much, 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 much younger than Buddhism. And our current conceptions of how those work are evolving every day, while Buddhism is 2,000-year-old doctrine. And so, like you said earlier, it comes down to the people in a lot of ways. Is Buddhism queerphobic or not? The question actually should probably be, is that particular Buddhist or this particular Buddhist queerphobic or not? Because I think that's what you would encounter more often than not is the variety among people who are queerphobic for, for their own reasons that may or may not be related to Buddhism. Just like I said before, a lot of these issues of queerphobia, there is a religious aspect to them sometimes, but for the most part, they're actually, in my opinion, other reasons why people, why people feel that way. They're using religion as a justification in a lot of cases and as a means of achieving some what they think is some moral high ground. But I don't think that if you look into any of the texts, they say anything like, if you use they, them pronouns, you're going to hell. Does that make sense? Right. It's a no-op. It's like, I don't understand, the, the text doesn't really understand the question at that right. point. Because the definitions just weren't there when the text was being written. Uh, moving back to your point on not being able to fix this, it needs to be acknowledged that this is a pair of cishet white dudes talking about gender identity. So if the whole idea of being able to solve this was hard enough before, it's definitely not going to happen with us. We're not the people to actually solve that problem. Exactly. It should be left to not cis people who are also Buddhists rather than us. But... We're also the people who are making this show. We're going to do the best we can with it. I want to present a potential argument in favor of gender reaffirming procedures such as, but you can have, we can talk about gender reassignment surgery, but there's also a much less extreme of uh, hormone replacement therapy, which right. I have I have seen do everyone I have seen who has wanted it has been much improved by experience it and that's something that i would say could lead to a doctrinal allowance for this which is gender dysmorphia interrupts one's mindfulness in a lot of the right. same ways that pain does like gender dysmorphia from my observations of it in other people again i haven't like you i haven't experienced this myself but it's pain it's a type of pain and just as one would need to treat pain in order to be able to meditate, I think dysmorphia also needs to be treated in order to allow for mindfulness. I would agree completely. And when you read the texts, they say things like, you know, we are, we are belabored and abused with unwholesome mind states 
like you say, like pain of the different kinds, physical pain, emotional pain, etc. And what we are aiming to do with our practice, with our daily life, is to move away, transition from unwholesome mind states to wholesome mind states, such as mindfulness, freedom from pain, joy, and energy, and things like that. And the way that one does so doesn't really actually matter nearly as much as doing so, if that makes sense. There's meditation and mindfulness, and those things do turn one's mind states from unwholesome to wholesome on the whole. But additionally, just like you say, interfering with mindfulness is, you know, it's kind of the trademark of the unwholesome mind states. And getting them out of the way, however you should or can, seems justified when it comes to the actual basic practice of mindfulness that leads to the path of enlightenment. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode on gender issues with regard to karma and reincarnation. Join us next week when we discuss Buddhist temple etiquette. What is common Buddhist temple etiquette? What is the doctrinal foundation for that etiquette? How is this etiquette different between different schools of Buddhism? We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. See you next time. My name is Nick Bright, scholar of East Asian religions and the voice of Hearer. And I'm Docs, editor, question asker, and voice of Hermit. And this has been Bright on Buddhism. Thank you for listening. If you like our podcast, or if you have a question you'd like us to discuss, we'd love to hear from you. Please consider leaving a comment or review, subscribing, or joining us on social media. Email us at bright.on.buddhism at gmail.com. Tweet us at brightbuddhism. And join us on our Discord server, The Hidden Sangha, link in description. As always, citations and resources for this episode can be found in the show notes. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you very much.